Ryan, I don't want to stay out here anymore. I want to come back inside. I'm not going to harm anybody. There's nothing wrong with me. And if there was, I'm all better now. I'd like to be back inside. Hmm. We'll see. This is The Thing. One hundred thousand years ago, it found its way into our galaxy. Trapped in the frozen wasteland of Antarctica, it could not escape. Now the men of Station 4 have made a monumental discovery. An alien creature had frozen, but not to death. And man... It isn't Benny! ...is the warmest place to hide. Ghosty is undead. I'm AJ. And I'm Spooky Ryan. And uh, today we're going to talk about The Thing. It is the 40th anniversary of the John Carpenter classic film. Obviously a very spooky and uh, very Uh cool film. Before we jump into that, we each actually have a couple recommendations that we wanted to make sure everybody check out. Some more like independent horror films that we've actually Uh watched recently. So Ryan, why don't you kick us off with the one that you watched? Yeah, so I was uh, driving home from my side hustle that hopefully I'll be done with soon, and I was scrolling through, um, while I was getting gas, I was scrolling through Instagram, and up popped uh, this movie on my Instagram, the algorithm got me, and the movie was called He's Watching, and it's this amazing movie about, it's about this family that it's during the apocalypse, and there's only these two children, and it's kind of like what would happen if these children are in this apocalypse, but there's these possession, this this possession going on, and he's watching, there's this creature that's always, like, watching, and slowly, like, driving the, these kids crazy. And so the cool thing about this movie, it's 100% filmed on an iPhone camera. So the whole thing was filmed in iPhone camera during COVID. And the cool thing about this is the family that's in there is the director, writer. It's his actual family. It's his actual son, his actual daughter in this movie. And they just sort of like started watching horror movies during COVID. Like all of us picked up random stuff. The son really wanted to watch uh, horror movies. That's the hobby that he picked up. And they were watching really bad horror movies, and the dad was like, dude, we can make a better horror movie than this. And they just started filming, like, horror tropes, and it turned out that his kids were, like, talented actors. <laughs> like, yeah. And they, like, they made this movie just in in COVID with a camera, and it's got all this depth in it, and it's got this really cool cinematography that he did with a camera and editing equipment. It's just so cool. It's really cool. So I definitely want to get you out there and watch that, and uh, that's pretty much my pitch for that movie. It was so cool to watch that movie. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, the director is Jacob Estes, who got some acclaim a few years ago when he wrote, and I believe he directed the film Mean Creek, People are mm. a pretty big fan of that one. I will say I have never personally seen it, but I've, seen I've it. only heard good things. So, yeah. And there are a lot of people who vouch for him as a director. So definitely somebody to check out and a film to check out because it's one thing to put your your own family in the film and really make it a little more personal. But he does take a really interesting view at what like voyeuristic culture would be from a ghost's perspective. And what I think is yeah. interesting is... Yeah, it means that there's, like, a lot of videos that are being filmed and the children aren't aware that there's videos. And the found footage aspect is super cool as well. Yeah. What I do think is interesting, though, is if you even if you took that idea out of it, 
most people post so often on their social media to Instagram or TikTok or what have you, it's as mm-hmm. if there's somebody always watching us anyway. And so yeah. I think that there is a pretty cool, like, undercurrent within this movie that makes he's watching pretty interesting. I have some yeah. weird, like, nitpicks, and I think it could maybe be, like, a little bit better, but it's not yeah. bad. It's not, like, it's not like the kids are bad. I think my only real no. qualm is that there's a lot of very interesting... I want to say exposition that sure. seemingly comes from thin air. That's really like, yeah. my only like qualm. Sure. That they kind of pe- have to piece together a narrative with the exposition, but the actual Absolutely. images that he captures are pretty cool and very weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, I would say that the, 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 the feeling behind the movie and the, the messaging behind the movie is very cool, but you're right. I mean, like if you're looking at it from like a narrative plot perspective, like, it, if you're focusing on that, it can take you maybe out of it a little bit. And and listening to the interview on that um, on that movie, it was something he was really concerned about because they did kind of piece this movie together. You, you know what well, I mean? And, like, and it was to be kind of, fair, it is a, a COVID production, so your resources yeah. are limited already. I'm right. sure that if he had a full budget to do the oh, yeah. whole thing by himself, you know, with with a studio background. I don't know if it would necessarily <laughs> look the way it does all the time. Yeah. And but at the same time, that also still shows that somebody can be super creative. Yes. And and really express themselves very uniquely through this yeah. last couple of years. That just because we as a collective have suffered this trauma Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that our dreams should be shut down because the kids want to grow up and be actors. It doesn't yeah. mean that you know he can't continue to make movies. He proved that he could. Yeah. And there's always going to be people who push through that adversity to create something. And in this case, yeah. it's not a bad movie. It's a pretty no. creepy movie. I think it's yeah. very successful at what it's trying to do. I just have a couple yeah, of things. That, and that no, doesn't absolutely. mean that it's bad. Yeah, I think... Um... I think the the piece that he was interesting because he does work in like lighting or something, and he was kind of involved in the new Grudge movie in some way. He was talking about in the interview, and yeah, I, he's I like he's one of the writers, and I don't think it was the Grudge. I think it was Rings. Got uh, Rings. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It, and we, so they're they're both J horror from around the same period, and both had remakes in about the same time. Yeah. Um, and so the biggest thing that he was saying is like, how can I take this? Cause like, I didn't have to worry about losing people's millions of dollars making this movie. And he's like, how can I like psychologically take these risks and want to take these risks, you know, when I'm getting paid basically to do it? Cause he kind of was like doing this as like a passion project, you know what I mean? So he's like trying to figure out what it's like to like do this because there were so many cool creative things he did in this movie that he's like, I would have never taken chances like this if I was doing it another way, which is like so cool and fascinating too, from just a creativity perspective, you know, I was going to say that's the great news. Like the, he yeah. did take those risks. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that's Ryan's pitch was he's watching. It's now available on VOD. We watched mm-hmm. it on YouTube, uh, but yeah. I believe it's also available on prime video and on, Apple, so definitely yeah. check it out however you can. Support yeah. indie directors like that, because it's just so yeah. cool. That's where the creativity of our of our genre sort of comes from, is like is the smaller movies, you know, and if they can make money, then we're going to get a lot more creative stuff. Exactly. So the film that I'm going to pitch is one that I believe by the time we release this episode will be available for everybody. It's on cool. Shutter. It's called Glorious. It premiered at Fantasia Fest, which is one of our nice genre-focused festivals up in Canada. And unfortunately, this year I could not attend in person because it's in Canada and COVID stuff. And (laughs) it's also going for like two weeks. So I had covered the Fantasia Fest the last couple years virtually. So I was a little disappointed to not, you know, make my way to the festival again. But... This one's dope. It's called Glorious. It's going to be on Shutter. I believe the release date is August 15th. So mm. keep an eye out for it. It is very Lovecraftian horror, and it is also Dude. very much a COVID production. The That's base, awesome. The basic premise is, what would happen if you got over a really tough breakup and you had to go evacuate your bowels <laughs> at a rest stop? Sure. And so you got to evacuate your bowels, and uh-huh. uh, it turns out you are now stuck in a bathroom with a Lovecraftian god. Dude, that's fucking dope. 
<laughs> and the whole movie takes place where he's in one he's in one stall or at least wandering around the bathroom at, as a whole, and on yeah. the other side of the stall is H.P. Lovecraft God, very, very yeah. scary. It stirs Cthulhu vibes. Wow. That's and pretty cool. Very fun. The God is voiced by J.K. Simmons. Wow. And the star of the movie is uh, Ryan Quatson, who mm. best known for True Blood is really the biggest thing that he's okay. been in. But he's been in a handful of other movies that people have seen over the years. He's also, I think, one of the leads in Dead Silence. Mm. So definitely a very interesting film. Very, very what a throwback. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> and it's directed by Rebecca McHendry, who mm. has worked on a handful of, like, again, smaller independent films. Mm. Lots of shorts. So definitely somebody to watch out for. Uh, I think cool. that if her visual style is this acute in a movie that takes place in a men's restroom, then I think that (laughs) we're really in store for something special from her. So I I think this is a please watch it when it releases on the streaming service on Shudder. Yeah. Yeah. It's also only like 78 minutes long. Oh, it's a perfect horror movie. (laughs) It it is also, it never overstays its welcome. It moves pretty quick. And I think it has a really cool just vibe. And so definitely check it out. Glorious, uh, coming to Shatter yeah. on August 18th. That's awesome. I can't wait to watch that. That looks, sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it is way better than it has any right to be, and I would argue it's like actively a very good movie. So Cool. Awesome. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our main subject for the episode, John Carpenter's The Thing. So, Ryan, do you want to go ahead and get a timer ready so I can try to get the plot of this movie in 90 seconds? <laughs> in 90 seconds? Okay. Let's see. Gonna get it started. Ready, set, go. All right. So a we see a dog and it's running across the snow and it's being shot at by people in a helicopter. The dog comes up to an American station down in Antarctica and they're like, "Oh, hey, dog, what's up?" And the Norwegians are like, "We're gonna kill this dog and we're gonna kill anybody who gets in our way." Well, the Norwegians both die and their helicopter blows up and the dog is just kind of now at this Antarctic base. So everyone's like, "We need to go check out." that other camp because something clearly went wrong the pilot rj mccready he's played by kurt russell he's like yeah i'm gonna go ahead and fly us up there so they fly up there and the camp is like totally destroyed totally decimated absolute horror scene there's ice with a giant hole in it clearly there's a creature in the ice they take back the images and that they a norwegian camp had and it turns out they found something below the ice they don't understand what it is and at the same time, the dog gets put in the kennel with all of the other dogs and reveals itself to be an extraterrestrial alien that's just, like, out of your damn nightmares. It kills a couple of the other dogs. The humans start to distrust each other because they realize it can shapeshift, and they slowly begin to get picked off one by one. And so nobody knows who the thing is. Nobody knows who's a, still a human. A lot of distrust occurs. There's one guy gets eaten by the chest of somebody. Another guy gets lit on fire, uh, they have a blood test sequence that's super crazy, and then eventually they blow up the entire base. Nice! Right at 90 seconds! <laughs> you killed it! <laughs> Jeez. Uh, the, thing, <laughs> the thing has a lot more going on in it, but as oh, far as a basic, basic plot, that is yeah. it. <laughs> that that was pretty good, actually. You, you do a pretty good job of that one with that such a big movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, so John Carpenter is going to be one of the patron saints of this podcast. He mm-hmm. is out and out legend, like all timer. Yeah. I I think the best way to describe it is recently somebody made a post about how Jordan Peele is the best horror director ever because oh, gosh. because of Get Out and Nope and Us. And Jordan Peele responded like, "Put some respect on John Carpenter's name." <laughs> and. I think awesome. that, 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 that is really how we should approach it, because John Carpenter yeah. is the man, and the thing is, I would argue, the best movie we're ever going to cover on this podcast. It is it is a well-rounded, good-at-a-lot-of-things movie. <laughs> yeah, I think it is a movie that is not only scary, but it has huge ideas. There's a, so much going on beneath the surface of it, and then on top mm-hmm. of that, it is a groundbreaking visual effects movie. There oh, may gosh. never have been a movie that is as significant for special effects as this one that's awesome yeah Every, is it all practical yes it is all practical oh, all dude. practical all bat paintings <laughs> wow it, yeah everything 
everything that you see in this movie is something you can touch. That is, wow. like, full-blown <laughs> incredible. That so, is incredible. Yeah. So the thing about The Thing, it's, it's 40th anniversary, and people love it now. And you're going to hear a lot of people sing its praises over the next year as people celebrate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. However, when it came out, it was anything but. It was critically, <laughs> people lost their damn minds. They were like, why are you doing this, you horrible people? Why would you even make <laughs> this movie? It made no money. It only made wow. $19 million on a $16 million budget. Wow. It got absolutely blasted. It was considered one of the worst movies of the year. It got nominated wow. for Razzies. Just a absolute, like, people hated this film. And now... Ever since it hit VHS, people have had time to sit with this and sit with its ideas. And it might be one of the most social, most effective uses of social horror that's ever existed. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things from it, too, that are in pop culture, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the whole time, I mean, that I keep thinking about it, I just keep thinking of Among Us, right? Like, it's basically, like, that is basically Among Us is the thing, right? (laughs) That's exactly what Among Us is. You just, it's the trust system. Is what yeah. really even the game Mafia, right? Like yeah. all of the very, there's so many different ideas that are inherent in this film, and, and this is just like the the film version of it is so tense and it's so anxiety inducing, and right. you, there's so many questions. Yeah, I mean, I, in another, <laughs> I just keep thinking of pop culture references. I just think of the South Park episode where they have mm-hmm. to test the blood. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So, which that scene in its, in and of itself is an amazing scene. That is a horror montage moment. <laughs> like, yep, yeah, it, it is one of the most important like sequences that's ever been in a movie. So, real quick, let's go ahead and give it some context about John Carpenter and where he was at before this movie released. So, Carpenter, he had basically only made TV films and a handful of independent features at this point. And you may say, wait, but AJ, he directed Halloween. He directed The Fog. He directed Escape from New York. He directed uh, Assault on Precinct 13. All those movies were indie features that were basically self-funded and just Mm. happened to get released through major studios at the last second, even Halloween. So they became sensations, but he had not officially made a movie that a studio had paid for when he gets brought on to do The Thing. Mm. Now, the reason why he's so interested in The Thing is that he had already loved the 1951 film the uh, the thing from another world which mm. is the first version of this story that was produced by Howard Hawks his favorite director it was directed mm. by one of the cast members Christian Nimby mm. the way that he phrased it the Geiger counter scene where in that version of the movie they don't have a shape-shifting creature it's more sure. like a giant Frankenstein uh, but so when he was watching the scene, the guy at counter basically says, oh, there's a creature on the other side of this door. And when it started yeah. going off, he jumped so high that his popcorn flew everywhere. <laughs> he always kind of revered this film. He's not scared of movies, but this one struck a nerve with him. So when sure. he was offered it, he was like, I'm interested. Yeah. And producers say Carpenter was obviously the only choice. That's not true. We know for a fact that Toby Hooper from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Walter Hill, who directed The Warriors, were each offered yeah. it as well. So big names were surrounding this. A lot of people at Universal thought this was going to be a huge hit. And so the way that Carpenter says it, the amount of professionalism that was available on set was incredible. And the studio, when they believe in you, there's nothing better. What do you What do you think of the original 19... You, you've seen it. I own it, but I've never seen it yet. I think what did good. you think of it? I yeah. think it's interesting. I don't think it's anywhere near as deep as this one. It is more in the vein of your traditional creature feature Got it. of that era. It's The ideas are interesting, for sure, especially because sure. it's got scientists trying to figure out, like, should we keep this alive? There's actually almost more of the DNA of the movie is available in Alien. When uh. you think of the character that's like, oh, I, we need to keep the xenomorph alive at all costs right. yeah. because of what it could mean for science. Right. That's kind of in the thing from outer space's DNA. That Got being it. said, I it is not anywhere near as technically interesting as this one. And it has like a weird like rom-com slapstick comedy oh, subplot in it. <laughs> okay. That, and, and that is one of the big differences. The original version has women in it. Sure. But this one does not. 
And part of the reason for that is that he went back and he looked at the short story called Who Goes There? And that uh, story is about paranoia, and it's about uh, the Red Scare. When it when it released, it was at the height of the Red Scare in the 1940s. Wow. And so that concerned. fear and distrust is like all in that movie, in this movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He basically mines that for everything it's worth. Yeah. And then while they're making the movie, Carpenter says that he started hearing the first stories about AIDS. And mm. the reason he accepted this movie was for the blood test scene. Mm. And when you think of it like that, that there's an unknown creature that is only in your blood. And it's mm. killing people and you don't realize it. And yeah. it, you don't even know if you can trust the people next to you. Wow. In 1981, 1982, that was the real fear about AIDS, the AIDS epidemic that was beginning to rise. And right. so Carpenter hears about that, obviously, while he's making the movie. He says it's not a direct influence on the film, but at the same time, it was in the air. It was something that he was aware of. So subconsciously, it is pretty clear that it's in the context of this film. That's interesting. And, and you know, I, what I really appreciate about the thing and the feelings of that, that he puts into these movies is so much of today's movies are so overt. With what they're saying, right? Exactly. Like, this is not this movie's right. about the Red Scare. Like, no, but he puts all the emotions that society's going through in that in that movie, and makes it about something abstract, and that's really really cool. And that's why I think he's the greatest of this kind of horror that's ever existed, right. because mm-hmm. this movie is scary on its just base, feral yeah. level that it'll scare you because of the images it's going to show you the absolutely vile disgusting images that they created and Mm -hmm. on top of that you then sit there and you go one level deeper and you're like oh this is a profound philosophical film about Mm -hmm. real social issues yeah i have to admit like after going through covid i mean it's really hard to not color (laughs) the film with that now yeah that that it's like oh these people are experiencing isolation extreme isolation from right. the world around them, they can't connect with anybody. They can't communicate with anybody, and mm-hmm. they're terrified of everybody around them getting, giving them this thing. Yeah. And again, it's just like the AIDS epidemic, but in this case, we can put our own feelings, our own like very real fears over the last couple of years yeah. onto it. And it's crazy that yeah. the movie can continually feel as fresh as this one does. Yeah, no, absolutely. We talked about some of the special effects, and I think that that's really where a lot of this conversation has to go, is that the special effects in this movie are so ridiculously astounding that it's impossible to ignore how cool they are. And when you hear about Rob uh, Boutin, who is the guy who who is the special effects manager on this, it's even crazier. He began making movies, specifically makeup effects and creature effects, under Rick Baker, who is the person Mm. who has won more Oscars for makeup than anybody ever. He's the guy who created American Werewolf in London. He did Men in Black. He's got eight Oscars for makeup. So arguably the greatest makeup effects artist ever. (laughs) That's crazy. He started started working for Baker when he was 14 years old. Hmm. He, he worked on King Kong. He worked on Star Wars. He wow. is one of the Cantina band members because they needed extras <laughs> on set that day. So awesome. he's in Star Wars when he's like <laughs> 17 years old. He then gets his first gig as a lead special effects artist on The Howling when he is 20 years old. He turned wow. 21 while they were filming. Jeez. And it's arguably the second greatest werewolf transformation scene in any film ever made when he was making a movie a couple years earlier rock and roll high school Mm. he heard that the guy who was making that movie um or one of the cinematographers in that movie was dean cundy and dean cundy Mm -hmm. was the cinematographer on halloween and he's like Mm. i love halloween dean you need to introduce me to john carpenter and so (laughs) he rolled up he met john carpenter they hit it off immediately and uh-huh. so he worked with Carpenter on The Fog, and then after The Howling, Carpenter's like, no, 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 you're coming to me now on The Thing. <laughs> like, That's awesome. <laughs> and so he starts taking on the effects on The Thing at 22 years old. Wow. Which, like, I can't even fathom. Like, honest crazy. to God, I can't imagine 
that these That's effects insane. came from somebody who was a twenty-three-year-old. So yeah, that isn't these indeed, these effects are insane. Like I don't know, I, I don't know if a studio would support such they practical don't. effects today. <laughs> you, you know how I know that because when they tried to re- do this the prequel for the thing, oh my god, they shot yeah. it with practical effects. And the studio said that looks too fake, and they put took all the practical effects shots out and replaced it with CGI. It's so, so bad. They I accidentally actively... started. I accidentally started the 2011 prequel, and yeah. it, the CGI is so bad. Like it's all very bad. The special effects are just like so so much better in this movie than a movie that came out 30 years later. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's shocking. It, it really is truly shocking. Yeah. And Absolutely. so, so Boson, he basically, when he pitches to Carpenter, he says, I want this creature to have lived like throughout the galaxy. And every time they landed mm-hmm. on a different planet and began to absorb the creatures and change into them, all of those mm-hmm. creatures are still now part of its DNA. So whenever he's attacking somebody, so <laughs> yeah, when he, whenever he's attacking somebody, that's why you see parts that don't look even organic to humans or to yeah. life on Earth, is because it's parts of another alien species that it's already eaten. Yeah. Like... I mean, maybe when we get into the, like, awards for scariest moment, but, like, the moment where the guy is, like, almost fully turned, but it's just his hands. Yep. And he just, like, turns and screams. Like, that is such a cool sequence with those, like, claw hands that he has. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, so good. And so this movie... Even though we are talking about how it is like this fantastic film on this front, the Oscars mm. thought the movie was so toxic they still didn't nominate it. Wow! And so instead, Poltergeist got nominated for makeup and effects over this. Mm. You know, the, the other nominees were Blade Runner and ET, which are a little bit more understandable. I still think this sure. has the best special effects of any of those yeah. movies. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Eventually, Barton would win a special achievement Oscar. For Total Recall mm. in 1991. Oh, so they gave him, like, a gimme. Like... More or less. They basically <laughs> said, yeah, okay, you deserve this. This is after he yeah. already did RoboCop, after he did The Thing. Like, again, just continually innovating. Yeah. And, yep. So... That's awesome. Botan is as important to this film as pretty much anybody else, especially Carpenter. Yeah, absolutely. You already talked about it a little bit. What are some of the scariest, like, moments as far as the creature to you? Well, there's so many things. There's like cool, there's like cool creature moments, but then there, whenever the creature comes out, it's terrifying, right? Like, and I think in the awards, without giving too much of the awards away, like you know, the the husky scene is terrifying. <laughs> like the first time you ever yeah. see the creature like come with, out and with like all the exist. Other dogs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that his uh, face just splits like a banana peel, rips, and it's rips just open. a skull. <laughs> Yeah. fucking disgusting and yeah. the tongue is like rolling all over the place oh dude it's so cool like that is such a cool scene but you know then you have like i mean one of the scariest moments the doctor is just trying to like defibrate this guy and he just eats his hands like that's dope the, like, that shot is so cool and one of my favorite yeah. like tidbits about that is that when yeah. it cuts back to the person with his arms waving around in the air yeah. They found somebody who is a double amputee to step in what? for that shot, and so oh my god, lifts it, so it's like a stuntman essentially for that one shot. Wow, before he that's got so cool. So so they found that's somebody amazing. who could then like wave his arms around as if he lost his arms because this individual had lost his arms. Oh dude, what a sad. That's tough, but like, thank you for doing that. Thank you for your service. Like... I was gonna say, very cool that he was able to at least be in like the coolest movie for that kind of yeah, scene. Yeah, it's one existed. of the coolest. It's one of the coolest movies, definitely. And that scene is just so dope. Like, uh, and the blood too. Like all the blood scenes, all the blood scenes are so cool. I also, when I sit there and I see like the scene where they bring what I refer to as like the split face monster. I'm sure there's like a real name for it but when it's sure. clearly the the thing was mid-transformation yeah and it's got two different faces that are like ripping apart yes yes it's like smoking up yeah it's so disgusting when they were yeah. filming it they had wolford brimley is doing the autopsy which by the way mm-hmm. wolford brimley in this movie is amazing obviously we quoted yeah. at the beginning of the movie he's the guy who most people know as the diabetes man <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he perpetually looked like he was 75 years old. From the mo- He, by the way, in this movie, he's younger than Brad Pitt is today. 
Just like for wow. reference. He is like in his like early Modern medicine. He, he's like in his forties. <laughs> and Brad Pitt today is like in his fifties. And Wilford Brimley looked like the oldest wow. man that's ever existed already. <laughs> Modern medicine, plastic surgery, and what, like, uh, smoking campaigns, ending smoking campaigns does for society. <laughs> very true, very true. Uh, so anyway, but Brimley is doing the autopsy, and they're pulling, like, real organs out of the creature. Yeah, dude, I was going to say, was that real? Were those yeah, real organs? Real they looked legit. It was a real wow. liver. Yeah, they looked legit. <laughs> Were they human or pig? I believe they were animal. I don't know what well, animal, yeah, but yeah, sure. <laughs> I believe that's what Carpenter said on the on the thing. Is that yeah? He's like, oh yeah, this this is like a liver and a heart, and I'm like, oh god, it's disgusting. Yeah, and he's like pulling them out, and they're like squishy, like they're real because they were. Like <laughs> yeah, well, and then the, so cool. the other one is like you said earlier about the dog. So when yeah. the dog starts transforming, like yeah. that thing is like so violent and so disgusting. It was really yeah. interesting. Is they go to shoot the movie, and. The guy, Botine, he's he's busy. He's busy. Sure. And so he is not available for, like, that one shot. And so the person they call in off the bench is Stan Winston, who is mm-hmm. the guy who made the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. <laughs> like, is the guy... That's who they call off the bench. That, that, that's like, oh, yeah, our backup guy, he's the guy who will one day make dinosaurs and forever change the industry. He made the giant yeah. alligator in Lake Placid. Like, if you've seen yeah. a animatronic special effect it was most likely stan winston and wow. that's their backup guy on this movie. wow that's like, incredible what, what in the actual hell like yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. there's a special behind the scenes i guess press event that they were trying to run at the time because universal is trying to get like hype for their horror movies again they're the mm. house of horror obviously all the way back to the 1920s and so right. they have a panel with John Landis, who is in the middle of directing American Werewolf in London, John Carpenter is directing The Thing, and David Cronenberg is directing Videodrome. And they're all talking amongst each other about all the effects they're going to do. And Landis, who's directing Werewolf, which itself has impeccable special effects, he looks over at Carpenter and goes, how are you going to do any of this stuff? Like, he's like, yeah, it's difficult. Dude, how did they? Like, honestly, so guys, insane. Like, 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 a lot of the creatures are sculptures, and then they would put latex coverings over it. So they would then smear the sculpture in viscera and blood, and then yeah. they would rip the latex, and then uh, they would expose whatever it is underneath. But even so, that doesn't account for some of these creatures, like, and how just obscenely disturbing they look. Yeah, I mean that's how they make that's how they make the professional masks even today. The monster clay. And they bake it, and then they put the latex over it, like the latex paint over it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, so. whenever they're spraying, whatever the thing is like spraying liquid, it's apparently carbapol, which is mm. what they use to make the inside of Twinkies. So there's <laughs> okay. like a scene where they come upon one of the Norwegians who's like slit his wrists, and the blood yeah. like froze before it hits the ground. That Again, was such a cool scene. Horrifying image. Yeah. But so that is just... You could literally break that off and eat it because it was Twinkie. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> so disgusting. But yeah. everything about this movie is so disgusting and so visceral that people right. were just not prepared for it when it came out. No. No, I can't imagine. Like, what, like, give me a picture of, like, what other, like, kind of gory movies are out before this. Okay, so I don't even have to give you that picture. I have to tell you what came out just a couple weeks earlier, okay? <laughs> okay. So, this is the movie schedule for the summer of 1982 when this movie comes out okay so the thing is going to release on june 25th the movies that come out immediately around it are rocky 3 poltergeist comes out on june 4th with wrath of khan yeah so like again a very different like that's a scary movie and also here's wrath of khan a little sci-fi movie so a little bit of both right right june 11th two weeks before the thing comes into theaters et comes into theaters (laughs) <laughs> and I cannot imagine a movie that is more bipolar than the thing, the thing like <laughs> hopelessness, than the like... life affirming. Let's go on a fun adventure with an alien in ET. <laughs> sure. And it's two weeks earlier. Oh my gosh. The same day as the thing, Blade Runner releases. Right. The weekend after, Secret of Nim releases, and two weeks okay. after, Tron releases. <laughs> so this is like an all-time summer already. 
But all around it are movies that are, like, upbeat, and, like, even the scary movies are scary, like Poltergeist, and E.T.'s like, oh, yeah, Aliens, right? Like, Blade Runner's, like, (laughs) sci-fi, Wrath of Khan is sci-fi, and this thing is this, like, absolutely vile, disgusting, (laughs) just, like, dripping in blood movie that nobody was prepared for. It is so wildly outside of the rest of these movies. Like, maybe if it had released in, like, October, maybe the response would have been as visceral. But if you're right. immediately comparing it... Right, but they tried to make it, like, it, a summer blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> a, a cold summer blockbuster around heartwarming films from top to bottom. Other than maybe Secret of Nim is the only movie that approaches the darkness of that movie. Sure, of the thing. sure. And even then, it's not that dark. It's not as dark as The Thing, which might be the, no. like, most upsetting, like, existential film that's ever existed. Right. So this is, like, at the tail, the beginning of the 1980s, right? So, like, just looking up movies from, like, the 70s, like, you have, like, slashers, which is nothing yep. like this. Like, no, like, deep body horrors, like, before this, really. Like, maybe I saw one, oh, Alien is, like, the closest to it. And that movie's, yeah. like, two years earlier, right? Yeah, I mean, like, David Cronenberg, who's on that panel with him, is about to come out with Videodrome. Where somebody pulls mm-hmm. a gun out of their chest and then shoots somebody in the face with it. But That's dope. <laughs> a, a, a head totally explodes in that movie. Video yeah. is great. But yeah. <laughs> at the same time, that comes out months later. It's not meant for a yeah. midsummer release. It's budgeted no. accordingly. And yeah. on top of that, it becomes a critical hit. Again, it doesn't have to be like, by the way, E.T. was two weeks ago. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> you remember that cute little alien? Now, what if he could fucking rip your chest apart? Like... <laughs> yeah, I just, honest to God, I, I, I understand why people were not in the headspace for this movie. Like, it mm-hmm. 100% makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, today it would be rated R. It's ra- is it rated PG? No, it's rated, it rated R. rated R? Oh, no, it's wow. they, there's so many. So they, like, there. threw this movie to the wolves. They were, like, radar movie in the middle of the summer. Like... <laughs> yes. And I mean, wow. you know, the, it looks amazing, but it's also a muted it's color amazing. palette. Like, like yeah. Dean, Dean Cundy, who shot this, he who also shot all of the other Carpenter movies, the Halloween and... The Fog, he shoots this movie, He they specifically made it very muted. They wanted, yeah. quote, to make a black and white movie, but in color, which <laughs> okay. I think they succeed on that. It's basically yeah. all icy blues and browns, Yeah, like, other than the flares. That's, like, the only thing that's not that color. It's not dark yeah. and broody. The only thing that gives it color is the flames, yep. something, the green that comes from the, the thing, and red for blood. Like... <laughs> The green, by the way, they had to have the thing bleed a color that was not red, because uh. otherwise it disturbed people too much. <laughs> I can imagine. It was th- that was like... a step too far for most people. <laughs> they like tested it and they're like, "Oh my god, it's too." That I could see that being graphic. I really wish that could see it with blood. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? What yeah. it would be like? Because there's so much blood in this movie. Yeah, it's. God, it's so gross. Um, let's see. Let's jump into some of the other cool I things. Just, that it's... I know. I'm just like loving that. Like, like a week before June 11th, people are like, "Wow, ET. Let's go see that other sci-fi movie that's a little darker." <laughs> well, we had to step on our toes for later in the podcast. But one of the things I was going to bring up, criticism at the time, quote: John Carpenter is a pornographer of violence. <laughs> He is yeah. better suited to direct car accidents. <laughs> oh my gosh. Even Ebert, who came to its defense and gave it like yeah. a two and a half out of four, was like, sure. man, this movie has no hope whatsoever. <laughs> Roger Ebert is the highest review by far at two and a half wow. out of four. People wow. hated this movie. Like, yeah. it is so That's interesting crazy. that it survived all that hatred, was a critical bomb. And now people are like, by the way, one of the greatest movies of the 80s. Arguably well, yeah. the greatest movie of the 80s. It's like, yeah. do the right thing and and then the thing. Yeah. That, that, that's my list, personally. So I, I don't know. It's insane. Let's go ahead and talk about a couple of the other aspects of the film. We already talked a little bit about 
the spider chest opening thing and dude the spider scene is so so cool like was that an animatronic the spider it was so it's an animatronic and below the floor they had the ability to puppeteer Oh, so, that's so, cool. so when all of the are all of the legs kick out, that's actually mm-hmm. them pulling them back in. What mm. they did a lot throughout this movie is they used a lot of reverse shots. Okay, so it, it would be they would put the cords out of everything, and they would like yeah. wrap something up, and then they would pull them in to, and then just use the same footage but reverse it. So ah, it looks like cool. it, it looks like the things are flying out as yeah. opposed to being pulled back in. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, absolutely it does. I mean, it's it's one of the only ways you can really do, like, a a projectile shot like that, because yeah. otherwise somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah, so, like, the blood shooting upwards right, is really it falling downwards in reverse. Exactly, right? Or, like, the, okay. specifically, like, the vine arms are a yes. good example. Or when the head, when the legs are coming out, they're actually pulling them back in. Because they had basically have to set it up so that the spider legs look like it's there, and they That's just so cool. pull them into the ground, and then the legs come back inside the head. And ugh. I, I can't imagine <laughs> what that would look like. On, I can't imagine what that would look like on set. Like to see yeah. the legs go back inside the head, that would somehow be worse. And then you asked if there was a animatronic. Basically, yes, they had like a, what they referred to as like an RC car, like a, like a drone crawling around for them. And that's when that's the so one cool. guy says, "Are you fucking kidding me?" And, which is, like, one of the great lines of the movie. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. Like, yes. Wh- wh- like, yes, if I saw that after we just toasted this thing that ate the doctor's arms, I would be like, what the fuck? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, we, we burned it to death, and the head fell off and crawled away. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And, that right. the, and then it goes straight from that into the blood test scene is the very next scene of the movie. And yeah. the blood test scene... You know, Carpenter says it's the reason he makes the movie. It is just about the thing wanting to survive. And that yeah. adds like a really interesting element if you think about it, that mm-hmm. if if humans went to another planet, we would do whatever it took to survive if we had right. to, if it meant like the difference between our species living and dying. So again, this is an amoral creature. It's just yeah. actively responding to the stimuli that's attacking. That's true. That's interesting. And so when he hits it with the little poker and the arm flies out of the blood remember it's yeah. also you see them try it four or five times and you're like oh this shit is not working clearly yeah. it doesn't work and he lulls you into a sense of okay maybe he's just wrong about this and when it yeah. happens and then the guy starts shaking and everybody else starts screaming yeah his so face upsetting. explodes like yeah. and they're all that's another thing is they're all tied up right next to this thing yes to attack and eat them they're tied Ugh. up they can't move like <laughs> my god I, I love keith david and the and the sheriff's like the copper's face there's like yeah. um please anybody yeah. again, they're like shooting flame like having him, the guy like delay so he can't quite get the flamethrower started and then he gets picked yeah. up and just shaken around Dude, oh. where he ate his head—that was so cool. That's the cool. That's the coolest. Ki- that's so cool. <laughs> also, after they blow this thing up, which by the way, so they so it like runs through the door, through like the yeah. wall, into the snow, and right. it's already on fire. And yeah. Kurt Russell then throws the dynamite sticks. <laughs> yes! okay, so in real life, he did not realize how big the explosion was going to be, and so he was closer <laughs> than he meant to. And Kurt Russell said. I thought I had died. Like, that. Like wow. I felt things flying past my face because it was oh such a big explosion and I was so close. He's oh assumed he had been hit by shrapnel. Wow, that's incredible. Dude, that, that's what I was going to say, is after watching that sequence, I was like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. That whole sequence of events is, like, the coolest... Let's disregard the horror for a second. Just as an action movie, yep. like, okay, this thing, like, takes him... Takes this guy by the head, is like ripping him around by its head, like his head, and eating him. And then they put, they light him on fire, and he runs out into the snow. And then he takes a bundle of dynamite and blows it up. I was like, dude, this is so fucking cool. Like <laughs> to put a, the the capper on that, the way that yeah. the way that Carpenter described it, he said he wanted the scene to be a vision of hell. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I yeah. cannot imagine yeah. being in, in real life. I would just roll over and die. Like, I would just be, I'm yeah. done. Like, we had a good run. Like, it's time for me yeah. to just go. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> we're, 
we're, we're the Norwegian. We're the Norwegian guy, right? Yep. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I might as well just get blown up. Like, I'm good. Yeah. Also, part of this is that Russell is wearing a fake hand because they have to be able to do the shot with the with the thing comes out of the blood, and that's an animatronic gag as well that they launch yeah. into the sky. And so wow. they establish his fake hand early in the scene. So if you're looking really closely, like yeah. you can almost tell it's not real. And then all of a yeah. sudden the thing explodes in his face. Wow. That's so yeah, cool. The, the, the effects are about $1.5 million of this $15 million budget for the whole movie. Wow. Like that's just incredible. on special effects. And you see every single penny on screen. Yeah. That's awesome. Also, whenever they're setting stuff on fire it's almost always either the actual set that they're blowing up in. They basically split the shooting between three locations. They shot the opening sequences in Juneau, Alaska, North of Juneau, Alaska. Wow. Carpenter, Carpenter said one of the pilots threatened to crash one of the helicopters if they would pay him or offered to, that he oh, would just wow. like, crash a helicopter like, and bail out. Listen, listen, I'm going to crash this shit. Like, <laughs> basically. Give <you> a shot. <laughs> so there's the shots there. They yeah. shoot all a lot of the stuff in all the interiors are on stages at Universal in Hollywood. Yeah. They refrigerate yeah. the set, so the set is always forty or fifty degrees. So everybody's oh. actually cold wow. in, in all of these scenes. Like they're all That's freezing. Yeah. And then all of the exteriors are shots. They went to British Columbia and shot it all in Nova Scotia. Wow, that's crazy. And that's so really, really cool. So when they're lighting the stuff on fire, it's either the real Nova Scotia set is being blown up, or yeah. they are lighting parts of the studio on fire. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was going to say, how fun would it be to just like, be tossing Molotovs into rooms and just like flames bursting out? <laughs> great, great, great segue. The scene where they are blowing up the place at the very end of the movie yeah. Dean Cundy and his camera team were going backwards down the hall while the explosions were going off. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's terrifying. <laughs> I, <laughs> I... I can't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Things they do for art. <laughs> Seriously. And and with all of that, let's see what else. Uh, Wolfer Brimley, the I'm all better now, I want to come back inside, the hangman rope scene. Yes. is So chilling. Yes. So chilling. The dog acting in this movie is just, like, absolute yes. next tier. Apparently, yeah, it was a dog named Jeb. Or Je- Jed the dog. The scene okay. where it walks down the hall and checks out all the different rooms and looks menacing, uh, that was yeah. all a one-take shot. Like, wow. They, 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 and they said they didn't even tell the dog to do the stop. It was just supposed to walk down the hall and look into the room, and that was it. Uh, it did all of the very cautious walking on its own. So they just happen wow. to get, like, the best dog actor that's ever existed. By <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, your motivation, Jed. Like, <laughs> he's like, Bow-Wow, got it. Bow-Wow. <laughs> God, if only more dogs had the motivation that Jed had. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've got Daniel Day Jed over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I was, I was actually wondering, like, the guy drew a noose. Like, he was, like, ready to kill himself in the thing. When do you think the thing got to him? I think the How thing soon? Is, I think he's already the thing at that point. I think he's uh, already been got. I think that is the giveaway, that he had the noose ready to go, and the thing would not understand the context of what that was. Mm, so he so left that, it up. So he left it up. He didn't realize what it was, where that's, like, almost like a signal in case he gets captured by one of the things. Yeah. to McReady that he's now a creature. Wow, that's pretty dope. <laughs> Th- that, that is my read on it, is that he, he that's pretty cool. had a feeling. And obviously, yeah. Wilford Brimley is the correct response, by the way, to mm-hmm. like destroy the helicopter make sure nobody can leave. I, yes. I mean, like he is honestly one of the heroes of the movie, even yes, though absolutely. he then later dies and <laughs> becomes... <laughs> Just an absolutely horrific monster. Remember the Wolfram yeah. Brimley monster at the very end of the thing? Mm-hmm. It's him up on top, and then the the dog bursts out of his chest. Like, yes. It's like a xenomorph times a hundred with a dog. Dude. So cool. So cool. That's such a cool... The ending is so chilling. Yeah. Like, and then when you bring, like, when you bring, like, E.T., like, when you bring all the movies that were out around that time, like... It's such a bleak fucking ending. Like <laughs> So bleak. Absolutely, like, the bleakest thing. So, yeah. 
speaking of which, you, you and I were having a conversation via text earlier, but I think you brought up a really good point, that one of the criticisms you can have of this movie is in regards to the Keith David character. Uh, go ahead and talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I mean, the main thing is, like, there seems to be, so, you don't really get any, everyone's kind of hot-headed and, like, on edge, but the child's is like, oh, I should be the leader, and McGreedy's response is, we need someone a little bit more level-headed, and he hasn't really done anything up to that point to show that he's, like, some sort of crazy hothead that's gonna, like, shoot everyone up or anything like that the only thing that like could potentially lead them to believe that is he's like a black man maybe and like i just think that's a good read on you that that i think it goes back to like the microaggression issue it's like a i don't think that john carpenter was like oh this must be a black man and he's the hot-headed one but i think it's that natural bias that they probably had in the 80s that like oh the audience will know that this guy's hot-headed do you know what i mean i think that like and yeah, beyond that, even, that the audience probably in the 80s, frankly, may not accept Keith David as the person who takes on the leadership role. Uh, like, yeah, that's, that'd that's be another tougher. part of it, right? Yeah. But Keith David is an actor who, first of all, is amazing. One of my all-time favorite actors. Yeah. The voice of the president in Rick and Morty. Mm. <laughs> he's in mm-hmm. They Live. He's a thousand great things. Princess and the Frog, he's the sure. bad guy. Sure. But in this movie, it's my it's one of the early introductions to him for me. Mm. And I just don't think that they would possibly believe that he would lead over McGrady. Right. Which it would have been be... a tough sell. But, but but to further speak to your point, though, it's not in the film, but heavily no. established at this point between Russell personally confirming it and Carpenter personally confirming it, that McGrady, mm-hmm. the reason why he's in Antarctica is because he's trying to get away from the world. He's mm. supposedly a Vietnam vet riddled with PTSD did horrible things in the war and is just Mm. trying to escape humanity. And so he goes to the Mm. place where there's the least number of humans he can possibly meet. And he still is the person who they prefer over Childs. Now, you can make the argument that everybody's here at the end of the world because they have nothing else to live for. But at the same time, it it brings up the point, are we sure the PTSD man is the person who's going to be (laughs) overseeing everybody? He's leading us all. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Who, by the way, got so annoyed with the computer earlier that he Yeah, recorded... that, he, that was the first thing, that was the first scene of the movie. He destroyed a computer because he lost a game, and Childs is too much of a hothead. Like... And, and, and it's not even like he can, like, go get another computer. It's not like he can drive over to Best Buy <laughs> yeah. and pick it up. It, he's he in Antarctica. <laughs> now no one can play chess. <laughs> it, yeah. it is, a, I think you nailed that, honestly, that it is a fair criticism of the movie, that it addresses one of the only two black characters on screen with that language. Yeah. And again, it was probably not something that Carpenter did. Honestly, he may have put it in there on purpose because sure. he wants people to have this very discussion. Very yeah. possible. Mm, interesting. But at the same time, it is something to bring up about the movie. And then at the same time, there's no women in the movie. So all yeah. of a sudden, the hero is like the white dude, the yeah. deeply problematic white dude again (laughs) and that's where carpenter's future movies will address this more Hmm. even more abruptly like big trouble in little china he is like the idiot sidekick who thinks he's the hero and he's not okay (laughs) and it's also kurt russell but it's not as obvious in this film that that's what he's going for sure absolutely yeah i mean i found it really interesting and it's also like you said when we were talking about putting a modern lens on something from the past right and things like that but i think it's a fair criticism still that we should be that we can talk about about movies that we love too yeah exactly right it's called it's called presentism and while it is a problem you know it it is not something that overrides my love or enjoyment of this movie i think every single masterpiece movie has a flaw or two and if this is the one that i can point to here sure because I think every other yeah. part of this movie is, like, straight flame at 100. <laughs> yeah. And Childs also isn't, like, a caricature. And at the end, you know, at the end of the movie, he's, like, right there with McCready. You know what I mean? Exactly. So... And, and, and so the ending, by the way, was shot... It was something they came up with on the spot while they were up in British Columbia. Wow. Yep. That's pretty cool. What do you think of the actual ending itself? I mean, I think putting it in the context of, like, apocalyptic, sort of, end-of-the-world, like, nihilistic, apathetic, sort of, feelings, like, I feel like it's, like, almost like a perfect ending. It's like, yeah, humans are still here, but at what capacity? 
Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, we're, you, there's nothing left. We're stuck in a cold, desolate place with no conveniences, and we're if we're going to survive, it's going to be a tough climb, but we're probably not going to make it. 100%. All right. Yeah. It's time for us to go ahead and jump into the awards. And mm-hmm. I think that we're going to have a pretty easy time with most of sure. these awards. So I'm going to toss you a couple ideas on some. You tell okay. me what you think. Okay? okay. So best kill, I really have this down to two. Sure. It's sure. either Dr. Cooper and the defibrillator vest or right. the blood test scene. Like, those are the two. Oh. So like kill like it's like hard again because like say, with like we were just recorded the Satan slave for um and I think when it comes to that this it's like sequence versus like actual kill right well and so to be clear when I mean the blood testing I mean the monster picking up the guy and swinging him his head around <laughs> okay that's what I mean I like, feel yeah I feel like that kills. So the 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 okay, so the and we can you I'll, let, I'll sort of defer to you because like when he puts the defibrillator on and it cuts off his arms that's the more scary shocking kill but the cooler kill is the giant monster kill right that's fair I think I agree with you on that and I also think the defibrillator yeah. in the chest thing I think that that yeah. can also fit into another category that we have sure. pr- yeah. pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to head and jump straight to it where it's a little bit out of order, yeah. but the Tom Savini best effect of the movie, it yes. has to be the chest opening up to eat the, yes. the hands and the that spider is. head crawl. Like that Absolutely. sequence has to be it. I, I can't. That's it. And that's incredible that this movie has so many good effects that mm. would absolutely wipe the floor with most of the movies. And yeah. it was still king shit. It's not even a question. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I agree. Uh, all right, Marion Crane Gone Too Soon Award. Number one, I'm going to give a shout-out to the Norwegians. They are gone too soon. <laughs> the entire true. entire base, all dead. Yes. <laughs> I'm also going to shout-out Fuchs. He's the one guy who seems to actually understand what is going on. Yeah. Uh, and then he finds McReady's, like, torn-up jacket out in the wood, or out, outside, and then he gets burned alive. Yeah. We don't actually see his death on screen. It just kind of occurs. Mm-hmm. And then I would simultaneously throw in probably Windows, the guy who gets picked up and thrown around. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was safe. He hadn't done anything wrong. Yeah. Maybe got a little too soon. Oh, and I also have to include Clark, who was not a monster, but McCready shoots in the head. Yeah, no, I, I like honestly felt the worst for Clark. Because, like, you, you All they he kind does of, is like, care use... about dogs. Yeah, and like he, and you kind of like they kind of insinuate that he is the guy, you know what I mean? Like he is the thing. Like they kind of insinuate it the whole movie. It turns out he's a dude who's really cared about his animals. And was yeah, and then he like gets shot in the head, and he's not even a monster. And like Childs is the one that says it. He's like, so that's a human that you just killed. So that's murder. murder. He just murdered that guy. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah, undeniable. All right, the scaredest shit moment. This is a rich array of them. Yeah. Is this something where the blood test comes, like the actual blood test sequence of him testing each individual blood until the actual exposure? Or Mm -hmm. do you think the ending of the movie where they're setting up the final bombs to blow it up and then all of a sudden the thing played by, by, by Brimley returns and like sticks his hand into the guy's face? Dude, that was actually terrifying, that sequence. Where you could, like, see his fingers, like, rummaging through his cheek. Like... <laughs> John Carpenter said he asked Brimley what he was thinking about when he was filming that scene. And Brimley said, getting my laundry. Because <laughs> his face is just so deadpan. So, like... so deadpan. He was trying to think of the most deadpan, boring thing he could think of. That would elicit zero emotion. And it was getting his laundry. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> All right, now I gotta fold it. And he's just like rummaging around in this dude's face, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that I mean for me, that's the scariest moment. What do you think? I, I agree with you. I think that is the scariest yeah. moment. There's a lot of scary moments, but that yes. is the the one. Yeah, absolutely. Where you think everyone's kind of safe and they're gonna like beat the monster and everything's gonna be okay. Yeah, for you one second, I mean? you actually believe they're gonna make it through this. Yeah, exactly. All right, biggest regret. Do you think it's Gary, who is the sheriff, for just being the sheriff in this little thing? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> do you think it's Dr. Cooper who puts his hands down to simply save one of his friends and yeah. then uh, t- turns out he's now a meal? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the biggest regret I feel like is probably just a twelve-way tie. Everybody who came to this place, <laughs> yeah. all the scientists that came to do research. Like, yeah, everybody I think who's not there's like whatever. Regret, we'll, we'll the biggest the regret is science. Like, yeah. Okay, so then who would you say is the most overconfident character in this movie? In a strange way, kind of McCready. I have a lot of trouble identifying one person, but I agree. Yeah. It's definitely McCready. Like yeah. he's the most overconfident. Even though he handles the business and emerges at the end of this movie theoretically alive, sure, he's not going to live for much longer. He's going to die in 20 minutes because he's going to freeze to death. Yeah. So they're screwed. Just across the board, everybody is screwed. Exactly. Yeah, and he, he is overconfident. Yeah, the whole movie is like, we got this under control, we got this under control. So I guess, I guess uh, going off the awards for a second, the creature was clearly trying to build some sort of spacecraft. Yes. Like, was it trying to escape, and they just, like, destroyed this creature trying to leave the planet? Or was it trying to infest the world? You know, that's a great question. That's actually like, a great question. Yeah. Hmm. It's a... I honestly don't know. I don't know if I can Yeah, we don't that. know its intention. But, but I think it, it goes it, back to It could to the, have been just to leave. Yeah. But I think it goes kind of goes back to, like, the piece of... This isn't, like, an amoral creature that we don't know what its intention are. It's We can't communicate with it. And we're just assuming that because it's killing us and destroying us that it's, you know, nefarious and evil, right? Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So. Yep, 100%. All right. Go ahead. Last rewards. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's see. The Norman Bates moment of the movie, it has to be when they discover the two-faced alien, right? When they go to the Norwegian camp. Because yeah. it goes yeah, from I mean, that or the dog sequence. I, I was going to say the dog sequence because, like... You're still kind of like, what the fuck's going on with the ant- with the point. the creatures? But then when the dog's face split open, you're like, oh, this is going to be fucked up. We're going to the depths of hell on this movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this is literally some sort of demon spawn creature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and just skip over icon feedback because, frankly, at this point, everybody adores this movie. You can sure. find volumes and volumes and volumes of praise on this. Nobody was on board at the time. I guess the person who I think is most clearly the one to cite is John Carpenter, who says this is the favorite movie he ever made. Oh, like, that's awesome. Like, of all of the great things that he did, and I think he has like legitimately eight masterpieces in his catalog, wow. this is the one. Yeah. That's, a, that what that's incredible. Want. That's incredible. Which brings us to the Mandy Award. Who are some people who it's their Mandy moment? The moment where they were at their absolute peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Thor Carpenter in here. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Russell. Wilford Brimley. Mm-hmm. Keith David. I think it's got to be one of those... Really? I guess it can't be any of those four other than Carpenter. Sure. You're going to have to tell me, because this is like way out of my lexicon of understanding. <laughs> So the thing is, it's Carpenter coming off of many successful films in a row, Mm -hmm. and this Mm -hmm. is the first one that's like an absolute bomb. And until that, he was just making his movies and didn't stop to think about how the audience might react to it. And so up to that point, he's just got all bangers, like nothing, no no fat on his resume at that point, other than maybe the TV movies. But at the same time, he's never, ever had this much power ever again. Yeah. Even though he'll make other good movies down the road, mm-hmm. none of the movies are as good as The Thing, and he'll yeah. never have the power that he had with this movie. Yeah, that budget to make, like, basically an action mm-hmm. horror. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, this is him, and that brings us to our final award, who won the movie? It's Carpenter again. Like, Carpenter just, like, sweeps to the last three, because... Yeah. This is such like a definitive piece of his legacy, and I think mm-hmm. the only other person who you can even possibly consider for is this their peak moment is the special effects team. Most specifically, sure. it, it would be shouting out uh, Boton. Yeah, Rob Boton. and and then he went on to do RoboCop, and <laughs> but that, that's the thing. He he went on to to continue to make great movies, and eventually yeah. would get an Oscar. So yeah. I still think that he wins other times where yeah. this is the Carpenter he ultimately ends up being justified in making this movie. It doesn't yeah. sink Boton's career, but it does sink Carpenter's career for several years oh, until gosh. it's reappraised. 
That's so that's so sad too because this movie's I mean, so great. And to be clear, like the next couple movies he makes are not bad. It's like Starman and Christine and Big Trouble in Little China are good movies. Yeah. They're just not the thing, and they never got the budgets of the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a bummer that it, it's a bummer that looking back at it, that people can see that what it was. Because imagine what he could have created if it was seen if for what it is. His greatness. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I have a tough time deciding in that Oscar year if I would support the thing or ET. But, I mean, it's so close. They're, I think they're so clearly the two best movies of that year. It's just it's stuff they a... released so close to each other. Yeah, it's just stark difference. Like, <laughs> totally different. I, I just feel like, I feel like E.T. is, like, much more palatable for so many more people. Yes. You know? Well, and that's why it was always going to go that way at the Oscars regardless. But for me personally, yeah. I struggle right. between the two. I think I, I think I err on the side of the thing. I, yeah. I was talking to a friend earlier this week. The thing is the movie that I think if you had cut off my like my childhood viewing experiences, I think I would right. say it's my favorite movie right now. Mm, that's awesome. Jurassic Park is always my favorite movie. Will always sure. be my favorite movie. And yeah. then Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark are really close. But I think mm. if I had to like cold cut my childhood out of it, movies yeah. that I saw for the first time as an adult, it's yeah. obviously the thing. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah. that is the thing. We hope you enjoyed our episode on it. If you have any questions or want to reach out and give us some comments, I'm available at the Alan French on Twitter. Yeah, and give us any of your recommendations or things that you're watching, even if it's the small VODs. We wanna we wanna help boost those uh, boost those um, those movies too, if we can, at the beginning of our episode. So if there's something yeah, we should exactly. be watching. Hit us up either at, at Belagosi Pod or you can hit me up at Keep It Spooky 09. And then... You can also hit up our website, Sunshine yeah. State Cineplex. Mm-hmm. It's at Sun ST Cineplex on Twitter or just check it out on the actual page itself. All right, y'all. Keep it spooky. Peace out, guys. Mm-hmm.